Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? So I had an awesome weekend. Uh, some time ago, uh, my mother-in-law called our house and said, uh, we would like to move back to Texas. They live in Phoenix. And so uh, on Friday morning, uh, my brother-in-law and his fiance and us and our kiddos, we loaded up early in the morning and we drove Friday morning to Phoenix. Uh, we rented a, a moving truck and we arrived in Phoenix, I guess it was about 4 p.m. Phoenix time, about 6 p.m. our time, and started loading. We finished about 8 o'clock. Uh, we ate dinner, we crashed at a hotel and we woke up yesterday morning at 5 our time and drove back. Um, rolled into town late yesterday evening. Um, got to wake up to the wonderful sounds of dogs wanting to go outside at 5 a.m. this morning. Uh, true test of faith and patience. I've told you all before, I'm a dog owner. I'm not a dog family member. Uh, I can live without dogs and cats, snakes, bears, anything. I can live without animals, period. Um, but at five in the morning, especially animals and I don't get along very well, but this morning at five, I left the dogs out, my dog, my mother-in-law's dog, and I was sitting in the living room and I, I was so mad. I was like, really, I wasn't mad at God. I wasn't mad at my family. I was mad at the dogs and it's weird being mad at dogs. They can't respond back. But I was sitting in the living room in my chair stewing, and I was just like, oh, I hate dogs. Why do we have to have dogs? I have to feed them. I have to take care of them. I have to let them out at 5 in the morning. And the Lord was like, well, we got some time. Let's talk. And I began praying for y'all at 5 this morning. Um, and then God taught me a lesson about my stubborn nature. Uh, because I had to let the dogs back in. Then I had to let the dogs back out again. Then I had to let the dogs back in again. And then I had to let the dogs back out again because they're dogs. And while dogs love to be let in and out, I like sleep. And especially after driving back and forth from Phoenix, I really like sleep. But I'll say this. Lord reminded me how many times he's had to stand on my behalf. And allow my stubborn nature to take its root. And how many times he's allowed me to go through the motions only to find out I'm a terrible example of what a Christian must look like in view of a holy God. I heard this story of a, a guy in a mall that ran um, the movie theater. 
and he was searching for help, and he had put an ad out on Facebook and in the newspaper, and in walked a young teenager who said, I need a job. He said, funny, I've got one open. So he asked him questions. He said, you know, do you have a resume? And the teenager went, no. He goes, okay, that's all right. Well, let me ask you a series of questions. Where are you from? Where do you go to school? Tell me about your parents' life. Can you drive? You know, normal questions. Then he asked him questions like, how do you greet people when they say hello to you? And are you punctual? And then he asked them the question, what would happen if a fire broke out in the movie theater? The young man sat there for a second and he said, you know what? Don't worry about me. I can get out just fine. <laughs> I have this feeling. If I asked you a question today, if Jesus were to return today, what would you do? That many of us would simply say, don't worry about me. I'll get out just fine. Only to realize that our neighbors may not. You see, that's the funny thing about faith. Faith is a requirement that you and I share it. And our level of care and our level of the love of the gospel will change if we share it. In fact, our love of our neighbors will determine if we will share our faith or not. I mean, two things have got to take place to be evangelistic. Number one, the gospel has got to affect your life. If it hasn't affected your life, you'll never share it. If it's not true in your life, you'll never talk about it. And I think for the majority of the populace of Christianity, that's the case. It's not that they can't share their faith, it's that it's never changed them. The next is, you have to grow a heart for people. What if we really saw the timetable of Jesus coming back as a fire? Wouldn't we want to rescue people from it? Wouldn't we want to respond to people and maybe lend a hand? I mean, we, we have this theory right in Texas that we are in the most friendly state ever. That if you're broken down on the side of the road, give it time. A Texan will show up. This happened, by the way. While we were loading the truck at my mother-in-law's apartment in Phoenix, a man pulled up and said, do y'all need a hand? One said, sure. He got out. He parked his car at his apartment. He walked over. And he was from? No, Idaho. I'm just kidding. He was from Texas. He was from Texas. He was from the DFW area, and he just moved to Phoenix. Now, I want you to know, we saw 50 people drive by us. But the Texans stopped. Because you know why? The stars at night are big and bright. You better believe it is. All right. Oh, that was like a zing, like that, just like that. It happens everywhere. By the way, you can do that anywhere, and somebody's going to clap, right? You can find a Texan just by humming that little tune. It's amazing. But you know what's amazing is this. That should be the calling of Christians, that we show up, that we always seem to be there to help, that we, we always arrive. The end of 9-11 they found Fred Rogers. They brought him into a studio and they asked him to give some words to the world. I want you to know something about Fred Rogers. He thought he failed the world. Fred Rogers thought all the good that he had done went to nothing. 
that people didn't care about each other, that the generation that grew up watching him just grew up jaded, and he hoped for better, but he really felt like he was a failure. That's how he ended his life, by the way. When he passed away, he thought he was a failure. Sad for me, because he affected my life, but... They brought him into a studio and they set him in front of a piano and they asked him to share words. And he went back to the very thing that he always said to people. Whenever there's a tragedy, look for the helpers. They show up. They'll be there. But look for the helpers. It's the same thing that Jesus says. Look to the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the God of the harvest that he may send help. You're the helpers. You're what the world is waiting for. You don't even know this, but God gave the gospel to you. I mean, in truth, let's be honest, we are very poor representations of what the gospel should look like, correct? I'll say for me. I won't say it for you. Y'all are probably much better than I am. But let's just be honest together. It probably would have been better if the trees would have carried the gospel. They're faithful. They stay there. They move when the wind blows. People would have gone, oh, there's the gospel. But he gave it to us, the most broken thing possible. I mean, let's just admit it. On our best day, we're not very good at this thing. But he gave it to us. Why us? Why God didn't give it to dogs? Dogs always show up. Five in the morning, they're there. Lord, help me through this one. Um, But he gave it to us. He gave it to you. He gave it to me. And you know why? You're the best he's got. He didn't need trees to carry the gospel. He didn't need dogs to carry the gospel. He needed you and I to carry the gospel. We're the lone creation created in his image. You look like him. You act like him. And he's trying to shape you more and more to be like him. And because of that, he gave you and I the gospel so that we would share it like he would. God created you for this moment. God created you for this time. God created you in your environment for a reason. You are the reason. He needs you to carry the gospel that he gave to you. He needs you to share it with people that he gave to you. God gave you your family. God gave you your classmates. God gave you your coworkers. God gave them to you. He's entrusted them to you. Don't waste your time doing something else. You are the great hope of the world through the gospel. Carry it strong. Don't be afraid. You've got everything it takes. You know how I know this? Because God gave you a mouth. So share something. Talk about something. I want to give you a test right quick to prove that I know that you can share the gospel. And I did this on purpose today because I have great hope this year. But I'm going to show you something on my chest right here. And I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them what it is. Now, for some of you, you're going to be very skeptical. You're going to turn to your neighbor and share something awful, and it's not truth. Some of you will see this, and you'll turn to your neighbor and share the greatness therein. So are you ready? You get to be evangelist for a few seconds. You're going to get to share with somebody next to you. You got them pointed out? Go ahead and elbow them and say, I'm going to share this with you. Go ahead. Preempt it. You ready? Be amazed. Be astounded. Here it goes. Okay. Share with your neighbor real quick. What would you see? 
What'd you see? What'd you see? Share with your neighbor. Be an evangelist. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, so I know for a fact that you can talk. I know for a fact you can. Even if you carried the wrong tools with you, you said, he's wearing a lousy team's t-shirt. I know some of y'all in the back that said that. Walk the aisle later. Anyways, but some of y'all shared some truth today. You're like, what an amazing shirt. Some of y'all said, we need to buy our pastor better shirts. I heard that, I think, somewhere in this section over here. But I I want you to capture this with me. We have an opportunity to do something, and it is to share our faith. And don't be be afraid. Don't, Don't be misled. Share what you've heard about Jesus. And if you don't have much to share about him, spend some more time with him. Open his word. Learn from him. He has got so much to share. And so today, I want to share with you just a little bit of scripture so that you may be equipped today to go. Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 14, starts with perhaps a question and an answer. Because we get all the way about how faith is through Christ, that he is the only way. In fact, verse 13 ends with this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we get this definitive moment. And then in verse 14 it says this, How then can they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but not obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So I want to walk you through this passage in reverse a little bit to start so that you capture this chain of events, this dominoes falling over. The first thing is this, the steps of salvation looks pretty simple. When we're going to talk about steps of salvation, we got to talk about how the message is carried. So let's start. The steps of salvation start with this. Someone must go. Someone must go. Someone must go. Did you hear that yet? Someone must what? Go. Someone's got to go. Someone's got to get up and move. Someone's got to leave cushiony. Someone's got to leave comfort, and they've got to go to the world. A harvest is ready. Someone's got to go. So it starts with that. Remember, let's read it in reverse. It says it. How can they preach unless they are sent? So someone's got to go. The next, that someone must speak the gospel. So let's look at it in reverse. How can they preach unless they are sent? And you go back up. And how can they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to speak the gospel. You can't just go. you got to share the gospel. Don't buy into the lie that you can friend someone into heaven. Your friendship with them will not bring them Jesus. The gospel does. Yes, we need to be their friend. Yes, we need to love them. But if we love them, we will share the gospel with them. Yes, we should meet their needs. Yes, we should know them. Yes, we should create environments where we can share the gospel. But don't do that so much that you see them to hell. I've done that. I've been that friend. I've shared this before, but when I was in high school, one of my best friends in the world, she and I shared lockers together. Her locker was on one side of the building. Mine was on the other. 
we got in each other's lockers. We kept our math books over here. We kept our science books over there. I, man, we spent time together. We were in band together. We did all this stuff together. We studied together. And one night, our youth pastor at our church was like, you know what? We need to be well-equipped to go after people with the gospel. Let's share our faith, and let's give you some start points. Invite someone to church this week. I was pumped. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. So that Thursday morning, I got up and I went to school, and I invited Christy to come to church with me. And I said, hey, Christy, let's go to church on Wednesday. She said, you know what? I can't do it. Uh, me and my boyfriend, we're going to be out and about this week. But I tell you what, next Sunday I'll go with you. And I was pumped. I was like, yeah, I've done my part. I can walk into youth group and be like, I did my thing. Sunday night happens. Monday morning, I always would wake up at the same time. But this particular morning, my dad walked into my room, and he sat on the edge of my bed. He said, Kyle, I need you to wake up. i got to tell you something. He said, late last night, Christy and her boyfriend and his best friend were riding down Rodeo Road. It's a road next to sundown that does like this. And they were drunk, and they ran off the road, and it killed all three of them. Today at school, your principal is going to have a, a time of silence for them. Um, you need to get up and go to school. I was asked to be a pallbearer at her funeral. I had to clean out our lockers. I friended my friend to hell. And I should have shared with her Jesus because he had changed my life long before then. But instead, I wanted to be cool enough to be her friend for a lifetime. And now I don't know if I'll spend any time with her for eternity. I got to tell you, we can friend our friends towards hell or we can share the gospel and see it take its place. I pray with all of my heart that Christy made a decision long before we were friends. She never came to church. I never saw a fruit of Jesus in her. But I pray deep in my gut that that happened. But you know what I know for sure? I miss my moments. I miss my moments with Christy, and I can't ever take it back. Let's not just go. Let's share the gospel. It's not enough to be a good neighbor. Listen, Mormons are good neighbors. They don't have Christ as the center of what they're doing. We can friend our friends to hell or we can share the gospel with them and see them one to Jesus. Don't just go share the gospel. Tell the truth to them. Show them that sin is killing them. Show them that Jesus is the way and don't back down. Listen, if you lose a friend because you shared the gospel, at least you kept them from having an eternity separated from Christ. Listen, if they're like, I don't like you anymore, you shared Jesus with me, praise God for that. At least you're off the hook with that then. But what more could you do like I did, having to carry a casket of a friend, knowing good and well you never shared the gospel with them? It's a really eerie moment to watch your friend's casket get lowered into the ground, knowing full and well they may spend an eternity separated from Jesus. I shared everything with Christy. I told her the girls I liked in school, and I researched the guys that she liked. Man, we, we knew times and calendars and books and notebooks. I mean, we spent time together, but never once did I tell her about Jesus Christ and what he did in my life. I was a preacher's kid in town. Don't buy the lie that people just know enough about you that you're going to wash over them. You're not enough. You're not enough. They need Jesus. They don't need more of Kyle. They don't need more of you. They need Jesus. So share him. You must go. You must speak the gospel. And here's the third. They must listen to the gospel. Listen, it is not your job to make them listen. 
We are not called to waterboard people for Jesus. We're called to share the gospel and let them respond and listen. And if they can't do it, then we are to go, you know what? Lord, you know everything else that needs to happen. But it is their job to listen, and the Lord will open their ears or shut them until it's an appropriate time. But I can tell you one thing for certain. There's a whole list of people that have not heard the gospel in Amarillo, Texas today. They've heard about church. They've heard about your stuff. They may even know that you're here right now. But they want to know, does Jesus make any difference to you? They must listen. Here's the next. They have to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's read that passage again now, starting in verse 14. How then can they call on the name they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? So let me give you a question before we finish out. Let's look at the equation together now. If we were to lay this out, this passage, and we were to flip it over, this is what it would look like. First you would go, then you would speak, then they would listen, and then they would respond. That's evangelism. Go, speak, listen, respond. I can promise you in the times that I've shared my faith, maybe one time out of ten people don't respond. There's a great lie out there that says that if you share your faith, 50% of them are going to walk away. I don't believe that's true. I believe people are searching for truth. And when I share Christ with somebody, they always say, I need that, or I did that when I was a kid, and we have to identify what's happened since. But there's this lie that someone's told you that if you share your faith, they're just going to automatically say no. That's not truth. That is not truth. Throw that away. Quit letting the devil lie to you and say to you that they're just going to say no. That is the greatest fib ever given and if they say no let me tell you what you do next you praise God and say God lead them someone else lead them someone else Lord he's speaking to them Lord and the next time you see him you say again hey buddy let's finish that conversation again remember we talked about sin remember we talked you got to get rid of it in your life and there's no way you can because it's a death sentence the next is the only way you're going to be forgiven of sin is through repentance and seeking God's face then he can cleanse you of your sin because he did that on the cross. When he died on the cross, his blood covers our sin and he makes us whole in him. But we've got to give him our lives and what's next is we've got to let him lead us. Where are you about that today? Still not today? Okay, tomorrow. I'll see you then. There's a crisis moment waiting to happen for our neighbors. When the church awakens, our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors, the people in line in front of us, the people we're going to go eat next to are in trouble. Because for the first time, maybe ever, they're going to hear the gospel and not have any excuse. No excuse why they have not received Christ. Because he's changed you and it's about to change them. The question I have for you today is, would you categorize your feet? It's beautiful. I mean, if people are going with the gospel, if they're carrying it, if they're preaching to people, if they're sharing Christ, it says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, would you categorize your feet as beautiful? Would you say, you know what? I'm constantly pursuing people with the gospel. Listen, I I think the world is waiting to hear something. And all they hear is quiet 
And they need to hear the roar of the church coming together, pursuing people for Christ. I don't know if you've ever done it before, if you've ever stood by the the shore of an ocean. But you can close your ears and you can watch the waves come in, but when you open your ears up, you can't help but hear it. It just washes over you. That sound, that power of that water washing up on shore and out. But can you imagine what it would sound like to see, see and hear a tsunami? What would it sound like if all at once that ocean pulled so far back offshore and then all at once slammed back on it? We have retreated long enough in faith. We have retreated long enough in our belief. We have retreated long enough with our coworkers, with our classmates, with our neighbors, with our family. It's time to bring the tsunami. It's time to let Jesus do what he wants to do. And it's time for us to be a part of what he's doing. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to speak. It's time for our feet to finally be seen for what they've always supposed to be, readied with the gospel. It's time. Faith comes by what? Hearing the message of Jesus. It comes by the good news. It says it here. Faith comes by what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Faith comes by hearing that gospel. How can they believe if they've never heard truth? Real truth. You ever argued with somebody that's just one-sided on something and doesn't get the full truth? And when you finally give them the truth, they sit there like, you must be crazy. I mean, I've always believed this, and you give them truth, and they go, well, I promise you that's what's going to really happen internally in your friends. It's going to happen with your coworkers. That's what's going to happen with your family. It's an inconvenient truth. Because it makes us have to admit that we are sinners and that we need saving and that Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. People will fill their lives with anything they can find for truth. They will hold on to anchors that do nothing but drown them. But see, we hold on to life. We hold on to something that's real Something that sustains us, and not just sustains us, but equips us. Something that just doesn't equip us, but sends us. Something that just doesn't send us, but goes ahead of us. Something that just doesn't go ahead of us, but is victorious despite us. God doesn't want you just to go. He doesn't want you just to be heard. He wants to be victorious in spite of us. God wants to save your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, your your family member more than you do. He wants them to hear about him long before your heart could ever bleed for them. Jesus loves the world so much, he's not just wanting you to go. He's going to go before you. He doesn't want you just to speak. He's going to speak through you. And he doesn't want you just to be there. He wants you to see him there. And I can promise you this. If you've ever shared your faith before and seen someone come to know Christ, I can promise you this happens. It's been true for me, and I know it's going to be true for you. You're going to have this moment where you say, would you like Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today? And they're going to say, yes, I would. And in that moment, I can promise you this. As big of a boy as you think you are, you'll be humbled like that. Because you'll realize this, you and I can't do it. He doesn't. And getting to be around it, getting to be a part of it is humbling. And it's powerful. 
And we should be experiencing it daily. He created us for that. So the last is this. Two questions. Do they hear it? And will you go? It's not enough just to go. Will they hear you speak the gospel? And the only way they're going to hear it is for you to go. Let's make a confessionary statement this morning. We love Jesus. We just don't like to talk about him. We defend him. We just don't know if we really care to talk about him everywhere we go. So I want to give you a tool. I want you right where you're at right now to to look at your spiritual well-being, to look at your world, and just look and see where are areas where you would never share Christ. I mean, let's just be let's be real. You're not going to have to say it out loud or anything. I'm not asking you to write it down. But if we're being real, we would say, well, I would talk about Christ at my house, at my church, but probably not at my job. That's the no-fly zone for Jesus. But these other areas, he can have it all. But, but that area, let's just, Jesus, let, we're up for negotiation. Let, let's just be real for a minute. Where are your no-fly zones for Jesus? Because if today you would say, there's no area in my life that's off limits for Jesus, then we should be sharing Jesus an awful lot more, right? But the real truth is, probably most of our lives are no-fly zones for Jesus. Maybe it's because we showed up that one time to a family reunion and our grandmother was sharing Christ and our uncle was offended. And so we just don't talk about Jesus anymore. Or maybe you're at work and, and one of your best buddies that you've always talked to across the table from, y'all started talking religion and politics and now they don't talk to you anymore. So that's off limits there. Or maybe it's at school. Maybe you're at school and you're sharing uh, some stuff about youth camp or disciple now and that friend across the table laughed at you. So that's kind of off limits now. I mean, if Jesus would just have them come to your house, maybe then you would share Jesus. Because he's open there. Or, hey, it's so much easier, just bring them here. Then you don't have to talk to them about Jesus. It's so much easier just to say, why don't you come to church with me? Because I don't want to share Christ with you. My pastor will do that. I mean, every Sunday, I'll make you a promise, I will talk about Jesus in this room, okay? So we're good, but let me just tell you, share your faith. Give them the truth of the gospel. Do it now. This past week, our student ministry took a dare from our youth pastor to go on their social media platforms and share Second Chronicles. 714. They shared it openly and posted it to their social media platforms. Our student pastor looked up on their Instagram followers, right? Added them all together. All the people they influenced through Instagram. 7,095 people. Some of those are crossovers, but let's just say 7,095 with just our student ministry. 7,000 people on Instagram with our student ministry have heard through the grapevine now that scripture being quoted. 7,000. 
So let me just ask you this. I'm not asking you for 7,000. I'm asking you to think of one. One person that this week you would pray to God and you would seek an opportunity with them to share the gospel with one. One. Not 7,095. One. One person that you would say, listen, I'm trying something that my crazy pastor is asking me to do. And I'm supposed to, like, share my faith. Would you at least hear me out? I mean, even if at the end of this you're like, you're a cuckoo, I don't like you. Please just let me have the opportunity to share. Um, be my guinea pig for me. I, I've got to do it or I'm going to show back up Sunday and my pastor's going to be preaching. And I'm going to be so totally like, oh, I didn't do that this week. So would you just be my one? What would happen if everybody in this room shared their faith with one person? Maybe they wouldn't come to church. And I don't think that's the end result we should be hoping for. That's small. Now we want them here. We want them to come worship with us because we love this place. But don't we want them to be with Jesus? Don't we want them saved from their sin, from death, and eternal separation from God in that place called hell, which is real? Even though people want to erase it, it's real. One person. One person that you may just change their eternity this week by sharing your faith once. So I'm going to ask you to pray for something during our time of invitation. Maybe today you came and you don't know Jesus Christ. You just heard for the first time that you have sin. Scripture says we all have sin. It's a problem. It's a disease. It's a cancer. And it just doesn't want to kill your human body. It wants to kill your eternity. It doesn't stop with our last breath. Sin kills us forever. But God sent the best doctor ever in Jesus Christ. He knew our infirmity, Scripture says. He knew what it was like to be like us, walked around like us, felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. Scripture says he was tempted in every way, just like you and I were. The only difference is you and I fall into sin like that, don't we? It's just me and you talking. It's okay. Me and you, we struggle sometimes, don't we? And so we fall into sin, and it's terrible. But Jesus didn't do that. When he was tempted, he avoided it. He lived what Scripture says is a perfect life. But he had to do that for one reason. There had to be a sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says this, that there would come a sacrifice that would meet the sins of everybody. And because Jesus was perfect and because he did not sin, because of his life, he was able to pay the price for all of our stuff. And listen, I don't know if that's good news for you, but man, it is great news for me. Because man, I know what I look like compared to God. He is holy, right? Like, he is good and I'm terrible. So I needed help. And he rescued me when I couldn't even rescue myself. Listen, you don't have to be good enough to be rescued by God. You just have to say, I give up. I can't even swim out of this. You're going to have to save me or I'm going to drown. That's sin. And God wants to rescue you from sin. But see, this is how he did it. He took your place. 
You see, this sacrifice of Jesus didn't just come so that you would see him rescue you without any water on him. No, he dove in for you and he pushed you out. And scripture says he died in your place. Kind of makes Jesus pretty special, right? Here's what happens. Scripture says that they took Jesus who died on a cross for our sins. And they put him in a tomb and they thought he would be done like any normal human, like you and I will one day. Like when, when we die, like we thought that was the end. But see, three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb. He did that for a reason because he beat death. So you and I don't just end when we end here. Something else starts that lasts a lot longer. I, think of it on your hand. You know this bone on your pinky right here? I mean, if you held your pinky and you checked that bone out, you'd see how small it is. That's about how life is. But if you could just imagine eternity would be laying out every bone in your body end to end. That wouldn't even eclipse eternity. And we think life is so long and so big and so meaningful, but it's so small. Eternity lasts for eternity. And see, here's the problem with sin. Sin demands a paycheck. Sin has a wage. And that wage is death. Not just that we're going to die. We're all going to die. Sin caused that. We get that, right? Adam and Eve, remember, they sinned. And because of their sin, we all have to face death now. But that's not the longest death there is. Because after death comes eternity. But then there's two ways. You see, one way sin, if we don't have a payment for sin, leads towards hell. It's a real place. It's a place completely separated from God. It's a place of torment. It's a place of judgment. It's a good place. It's kind of like a jail. If, I mean, if you just imagine for a moment, if somebody killed your best friend, you'd want them to go to jail, right? Well, God made hell for people that don't seek after Jesus. It's like jail forever. But he doesn't want anybody to go there. You see, when Jesus died and he rose that third day, he made another way. The Bible says that way is into a place called heaven. Maybe you've heard of it. I mean, we all talk about heaven, right? We, we all want to go there. So we, we just don't want to go today. I personally would love to go there today. Um, but this heaven place, you know, we hear all this stuff about it. Uh, here's what's so significant. If you just wanted a glimpse of heaven. You know, we just you see all the streets being redone here in Amarillo with that rock stuff. Um, they paved the streets there with gold. That's how worthless it is compared to God. I mean, gates are pearly, and I mean, those are gates. Have you seen my gate at the house? It's falling down. No one cares. Pearly gates, those are just gates there. But God makes this way in Jesus that those of us who have sinned, if we will accept him as Savior and Lord, reject our sin, cling unto him, he'll lead our lives. And what happens is this. Those of us who have professed Jesus Christ, who believe in him, when we die, we'll spend eternity in heaven with him. And while I don't know everything about heaven, I just know this. I'll be with him, the guy that saved my life. And I don't want anybody in my life to go to hell. And so today, 
if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, I want to talk to you. I want to spend time with you. Because if you don't know for certain, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and where you'll spend eternity, I don't want you to leave this room without knowing. Because it is a fire. And I want to rescue you from it. And so I want to give you the opportunity, maybe today to be my one today, that I can share Christ with. And I want you to know something. Long before you came in this room, I prayed over the pew you're in. And I asked God that he would give you boldness. That during a time of invitation like we're in now, when I pray and I say amen and we stand and we sing, you wouldn't even hesitate. You'd come down, you'd find myself, you'd find Dale, you'll find Mark, you'll find John. And you'll say, you know what, today I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to know for certain where I'm going to spend eternity. I need to know before I leave this building. You've been prayed for. You've heard truth. Don't leave this room without knowing for sure where you'll spend eternity with the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray for my friends in this room. God, I believe this with all of my heart. That the gospel is confrontational. Because it demands of us that we give away ourselves for the sake of Jesus Christ. That he becomes our new heart, our new mind, our new life, our new direction, our Savior, our Lord. And because of that, we've got to give away a lot of ourselves. But God, you give us so much more in return. So today, Lord, my prayer is this. That someone in this room who has never made that decision to fall after Christ with all their heart. They're living in sin. They don't know how to get out. They have a one-way ticket to that place called hell. But today they would say, I don't want to go there. I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to spend eternity with him. Lord, today may you send one, and then another, and then another. And Lord, may it never stop. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.